Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Should I have a post-nuptial agreement on this episode of Shauna Shares Community Q&A? Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Welcome back to this episode of Shauna Shares Community Q&A. We have got a great cue today. This comes from Brian and Tracy. Hey, Shauna, we're big fans of the show. Thank you so much. You've helped our marriage a lot. And we're not afraid to have those money conversations. Quick question. We had friends who recently got married, and they actually got a post-nuptial agreement. Just curious what your thoughts are about those. And if you've had any guests on the show that have talked about post-nups, we'd love to hear that conversation. We recommend the show to everyone. We love tuning in. We never know what we're going to hear. So please keep the show going. Thanks so much. Brian and Tracy, thank you. Thank you for being a listener. Great, great, great topic. (laughs) Prenups and postnups are always the place where couples can really come to blows. 
Usually one person is in favor of the prenup, the other person is adamantly against the prenup, and it can create a lot of tension in the relationship. We did, though, have a Chicago-based attorney, Jennifer, on a couple years ago, and she talked about this new marriage trend of post-nuptial agreements. So if you've not listened to that episode, you're going to get to listen to it now. I'm going to put in our conversation because... Hearing from attorney on how these agreements work is really the best way. They deal with these agreements all day long. And so Jennifer really broke down this new marriage trend and whether you should think about a prenup or a postnup. So let's jump into that conversation. So Jennifer, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I think this is going to be such a great episode. We've not done anything like this before. And I know the listeners are really going to get excited about this. But before we kind of dive into the prenup, postnup topic, I wanted to talk a little bit about you, about your background. You are certainly an overachiever. You have so many different, um, you know, awesome things that you've done in your past. But I think when it comes to law and the different types of law, so many people get confused. And I know you're a family law attorney. I was wondering if you could just walk us through, you know, what does that mean? And tell me a little bit about your journey actually into law. Oh, yeah. Thank you, by the way, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today about what I consider to be a pretty exciting and interesting topic. Um, yeah, so so in terms of my background and experience, um, I kind of come from an accounting background, and right out of college, I was um, in various sort of accounting uh, roles in corporate um, business, in a business environment, uh, corporate departments. And you know, I just found that the work was was okay, but I just was missing, and I was lacking um, that person-to-person uh, problem solving that I really, you know, enjoy doing and and helping people at a more personal level. So I decided to go to law school a few years after college. Um, while I was working full time and and get my law degree then and you know I started to get interested in family law in school and um didn't really um realize how how well suited and how much I loved the practice until I had been practicing for a couple of years so you know I got a little bit of experience um you know in, in the estate planning side of things um it, you know while I was in law school and then um had a job at a boutique family law firm out of school but then when I'm out on my own and you know, it was really, you know, after I had been practicing for, for a little bit that I really saw that the practice of family law has just allowed me to have that person-to-person connection that I was so craving in my former career as just an accountant and, you know, in business setting, but um, that it also allowed me to use my accounting skills. And I, so I, I didn't have to give up my accounting that I loved. Um, so I get kind of all the best of, of all worlds. So, you know, when, I, you know, we talk about family law, what does that mean? You know, my practice is, you know, a full kind of service family practice. And, you know, the the practice of family law, you know, as it's sort of, I guess, defined generally is, you know, helping families through through such things as divorce, custody, um, you know, prenups and postnups. And, uh, you know, anything that affects, you know, the family in any, in any way. Um, you know, the other side of my practice is estate planning, which again, you know, affects families more in a transactional sense, right? We're setting up plans so that families can feel secure and safe knowing that everything is taken care of in the event of one or, or both, you know, parents, deaths, um, kids are taken care of and, and all of the estate will be wound up, you know, cleanly and, and with as many, with as few costs um, having to be incurred as possible. 
so my my practice kind of you know it it it's it's a it's divided, but you know it, all all of my practice areas kind of affect families at either the litigation level or in the transactional sense. And certainly prenups and postnups fall right in there. <laughs> yeah, all the all the tough subjects, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, I, I don't consider them tough, but I know that they can be overwhelming to anyone who hasn't been involved in the process of maybe setting one of these up. I certainly can see it from that perspective, um, but I try to make the process as as easy and not intimidating as possible. And do you find, you know, you obviously are in intimate settings with with mainly couples, you know, trying to make tough decisions. Do you find mm-hmm. yourself getting, you know, involved in in kind of their own story or like how do you keep that that separate as a family law attorney? Well, you know, I think you would be really remiss if you weren't at some level identifying and and getting, you know, um close to your clients in the sense that you know, you're kind of going through a journey with them. And so, so I think, you know, there is a little bit of that, but, you know, ultimately at the end of my day, I know that like, I've got to keep things, you know, professional and I've got to, you know, make sure that I am providing what I need to provide, which is adequate counsel and, you know, taking the stress off their plate. And so we can't get, you know, I can't get too intermeshed with the, you know, all the emotional stuff, but what, what I do is I do sit and listen and I do um, counsel them, you know, through what, you know, typically can be one of the hardest times in their life if they're going through a divorce. Certainly that's, that's up there with death um, yes. in terms of, of difficulty to get through. So I definitely see that. I hear it. But my job is to keep, um, you know, everything moving towards the goals, goals and directions that my client and I have set. And so I, I keep my eye on that while providing as much counsel as I can. And always, you know, if there's a need for maybe some additional counseling that I think is outside of my realm, you know, certainly I have, you know, a good um, group of professionals in that arena who can assist with with more of that. Yeah, I I like that a lot, because I could imagine Mm -hmm. that there are some stories that are that are, you know, tug on the heartstrings. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think every every person's at a different emotional place, you know, particularly when they mm-hmm. come to an attorney about this. And, you yeah. know, we, we've, we've obviously all of us have heard whether we understand exactly what it is, we've heard the word prenup, but postnup, I think mm-hmm. is a bit, it's a bit of a foreign concept. Can you walk mm-hmm. us through, you know, like, what is the difference between those two other than obviously pre and post? And, right, you know, what, right, are, right. what are some of the things mm-hmm. that, that people uh, need to know about those differences? Yeah. So, I mean, like you, like you alluded to, there, there's the obvious difference between a prenup and a postnup. A prenup is signed before a wedding. So before you even walk down the aisle, this thing has been negotiated and drafted and executed and it's been kind of put away. Um, so it's done, it's in, it's in place. And, you know, the terms of a prenup actually usually state that it won't become effective until, you know, the actual wedding occurs. Mm-hmm. So once that wedding occurs, now this prenup that has been drafted and executed is, is, is set. It is, is valid. It is, you know, it is uh, legally enforceable at that point. Um, that's one major difference. The, uh, one of the other major differences is, you know, what, what do parties have to do to make these things valid? And I don't want to get into a lot of technical, you know, uh, yes. legal jargon <laughs> yeah, because I certainly don't want to bore, bore anyone with that. But, you know, certain things uh, have to happen with each type of agreement to make sure it's valid and enforceable. So I can walk maybe through what that looks like for prenup and then we can walk through what that looks like. Yeah, for postnup. And I just want to throw out there as a, you know, kind of a disclaimer 
that I'm an Illinois attorney, which means I'm licensed to practice law in Illinois. We are a separate property state. Our laws on prenups and postnups quite quite possibly will vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And then obviously, you know, internationally, there there could be just completely different rules and laws on this. So my perspective, you know, I, I, is basically from an Illinois attorney's standpoint and, and based on Illinois statute and case law. So I just wanted to make that really clear. Um, so, you know, in terms of a prenup, um, the prenup will be typically found valid if there are several factors that have been adhered to in the process of, of negotiating and executing this prenup. So the first one is that it has to be done and it has to be signed well in advance of the wedding. So, you know, you hear these stories about, you know, the the eve of the wedding, you know, parties are still negotiating and trying to work out these details. Well, you know, the party that maybe, you know, is to receive the 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 the, the lesser of the property under this prenup or the the worst deal could use that fact, uh, you know, if they ever wanted to invalidate the prenup. They could say they felt pressured, coerced into signing this, and it was right before the wedding, and they felt they had no other options. So, so one thing that I that I tell my clients and counsel them on is what what the law here in Illinois kind of you know shows make could potentially lead to the finding of, of a prenup to be invalid, and that's one of them. So, so I always say let's let's make sure we have it done in, well in advance of the wedding. And what's well in advance? It depends exactly. on the facts and circumstances. We won't go into all that, but you know, <laughs> it, it's the the night before is not well in advance. <laughs> I will I will say that. <laughs> So, or, you know, the, the, the rehearsal dinner, I've heard of those, you know, they, you know, they're still working oh, no. out and they're trying to have their rehearsal dinner and, you know, so that again, the, we don't want it to be this last minute, anyone's feeling pressured or coerced. Okay. So that's And one quick aspect. question, quick question before you, before yeah. you go further, you know, you mentioned that, you know, usually the party who feels like they're not, or they're, they're practically not getting as much, you know, from the mm-hmm. prenup. Is mm-hmm. it always a case where one person's you know, in the disadvantage and one is in the advantage or is that just purely case by case? Well, it's case by case, but you know, you, you have situations where one party just clearly has a lot more, um, they're coming to the situation with a lot more and that's why this prenup is, is being, um, done. And, you know, you, you certainly can have situations where parties are coming into the marriage with equal, you know, assets that they want to protect, but, in those cases where one is coming in with a, you know, clear advantage in that their net estate is far greater than the, the person who they're marrying, the person with the lesser estate could feel like, you know, they may want to find this prenup to be invalid at some point if they feel over time that they just, you know, they, they didn't feel it was overall fair. So you can, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, 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 the next factor is, there has to be a full and frank disclosure of assets and income before a prenup would be, you know, absolutely found valid. So if, you know, the parties, and this is, again, we're talking about Illinois law and what Illinois case law has, has held in terms of what the, you know, the court can look at in, 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 in deciding whether or not to invalidate a prenup. So if there's a full and frank disclosure by both parties of all of their assets and debts, that they own and that they have, that they're indebted to prior to the marriage and there, it doesn't look like anything was hidden or not disclosed, then, then that's one factor that, that, that will probably, you know, be in the, in, on the side of the party who's looking to, you know, enforce this agreement. So, you know, that's an important aspect. You can't just, you know, present 
an agreement to a fiance and say, you know, you, you know what I make, you know what I have. I'm, we're not going to go through the whole, you know, process of listing it all out, but here, sign this and say that you'll, you agree not to, not to, you know, ever ask for any of that money if we were to get divorced or any, you know, any it increases in those assets or any, anything that might come to you by virtue of our marriage. So it's really important that there's a full and frank and complete disclosure of assets and income and so that each party knows what they're getting themselves into and what they're giving up potentially when they sign. I think that's a great point because, you know, even just in relationships, you know, without a prenup or a postnup, there's always something that, especially in, in the beginning, that that people try to hide, whether it's a good thing or a not a good thing, you know, and I think I'm just a huge proponent of the full disclosure, you know, I mean, you got to know the person that you're marrying, uh, you know, the good, the bad, you know, and all of the in between. So I think that's a really good I, I like, I like to hear that 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 actually is a requirement. Right. And I think transparency is, is such a good thing anyway. You're, 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 you're going to be in a, intermeshed with this person and, you know, spend your lives together. Whether or not you commingle your accounts and assets, you, sh- I mean, there should be transparency in terms of what this person has, um, what you have. It's just, it's, I think it's just good for the relationship as well. So, you know, it, exactly. So it, it's got to be there or there could be grounds to invalidate the prenup ultimately. So yeah, got to do it. <laughs> In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnit app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited, and it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. 
Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. I'm sorry, but I have the best dog ever. Her name is Winnie Stardust. She is a mini golden mountain doodle full of life, and I would do just about anything to keep her happy, healthy, and safe. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of your family and you want to do the best for them, but vet bills can really add up. We jokingly keep telling Winnie she needs to get a job to pay for her vet bill. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customized accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping to ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are. Because vet bills can really add up, especially when you are least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash ETM. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independent American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer, is not engaged in the business of insurance. If somebody found, if somebody had a prenup and they found out Mm -hmm. that there was something that wasn't disclosed, you know, that could potentially be grounds for them to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, you didn't tell me about X, Y, or Z or whatever that may be. Right. Because the argument is that party may have negotiated differently and asked for something different or something Mm -hmm. more had they known the full scope of what was there. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's kind of where that, where that plays into. Um, the final, you know, uh, requirement that really should, should be present to make this thing as airtight as possible is that both parties should be represented by counsel. So if you have one party who's got an attorney and the other one doesn't, then, you know, there could be an argument by that party who wasn't represented that they just didn't know what they were signing. They just did not understand the ramifications of what they've given up. And so coming into a situation years down the road when there might be a divorce um, filed, they could say, well, look, I, you know, I do, I, I want to, you know, I, I, I want to invalidate this thing. I didn't understand at the time I, what I was signing. I didn't have an attorney and I, I, I didn't know I had, I should have had one. Um, 
Now, there are certain ways that you can, you know, if one party party just refuses to get an attorney, then maybe you, you can really make sure that the agreement fully says that they had plenty of opportunity, they were advised to get counsel, despite all the opportunity and despite the, the advice they, they elected to proceed per se. However, it, it just is one factor that the, that the court can look at. So it's highly advisable that both parties are represented by counsel in the negotiation and signing of this agreement. And separate counsel, correct? Or the same counsel? Separate. separate. No. So, so you know, there are situations, you know, where perhaps it might be um, beneficial to have the same attorney, but a prenup or postnup is so such of, of the nature that it's the two parties are so, um, you know, adversarial and there's no way you could advocate for both. So it, it just is not a waivable conflict of interest. So if an attorney is saying, yeah, I can represent you both, it's not a problem. I, I, you know, I would, I would caution that, that that it really should should never be one counsel, and and I don't, I think that would be grounds for finding this invalid, quite frankly. So, you know, I agree. Separate <laughs> counsel, yeah, it, it's just, you know, it's it's you, know, everybody's got their own person advising them on what's in their best interest. I don't see how one counsel could do that for two pound, parties who are diametrically opposed. It just, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. I yeah. hear you. So we're we're seeing yeah. this trend towards postnups. You know, mm-hmm. what is it about postnups? Why why is this trend happening? You know, I, I I think that you know it just comes down to people are just understanding more that they they have rights that they are accruing during marriage. Maybe it's better education is better. There's more things out there to educate. Maybe like you know, for instance, what you all do. In, in putting information out there. And so it's more readily available. So people understand that, Hey, you know, if I'm not happy in a marriage or I feel like I'm giving up something and I'm not getting anything in return, you know, then, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm a candidate for, for, for the post-nup and, and maybe it's just more knowledge about that, that this exists and it's a, it's a potential document that, that parties can, um, sign even after the marriage and after the wedding that would preserve rights that are important to, to them. So I think education and then, you know, um, yeah, but I, you know, if I had to look at postnups and prenups, prenups are by far the more common and more prevalent situation. Postnups are, are, I think are still less common overall, but, but they are gaining in, in, um, and just, you know, momentum given the, given the, I think, the access to knowledge base and education now. And with the postnups, do they have, mm-hmm. you know, the same kind of requirements that the prenup has to make them valid or, or how do those work? Well, so it, so it's a little bit different in terms of, I mean, there you still needs to really be full disclosures. Um, although at that point they're already married and there might be, um, a lot of personal knowledge about what's there for each side. But yeah, definitely full disclosures, um, definitely represented by separate counsel. But now you, you know, we've eliminated that need to have it well in advance of the wedding because we're at, and we're now post wedding. We're now after the wedding. But the problem becomes with postnups. And, and again, I'm speaking, um, about Illinois law and how these work in Illinois is that what the parties need to give up in order to have this be valid is different than what they need to give up, you know, or the consideration given for a prenup to be valid. So let me give you a couple examples to kind of clarify. So in a postnup situation, you could have a postnup executed by the parties if one of them files for divorce and then after the divorce is filed, 
they agree not to pursue the divorce because the other spouse has offered them something. It's usually monetarily, um, as in for, you know, uh, dismissing the divorce action. That's one scenario where I, I see uh, postnups coming into play. So, so it's the, the one party uh, agreeing to forego the continuation of the divorce proceedings because the other has promised them something um, monetarily, like I said, usually, um, and it's in writing and it's signed. Okay, so that's, that's one scenario. So both parties are giving up something. One is giving up the ability to move forward on the divorce. The other is um, giving up a you know financial benefit to that party, which they may not otherwise have had to do. Um, that they are voluntarily doing. So that's one scenario. And then, you know, another example would be you've got two, two spouses. One is looking, you know, one is, um, looking to potentially stop working, um, and, uh, giving up maybe, uh, you know, time in their field, which may be a detriment to them if they ever try to go back into that field. So they may be making a very nice salary and then take, they're going to take time off perhaps to stay at home with kids. And the parties agree to this, but the, power, the spouse that's giving up their career, at least for a time, it feels uncomfortable that, you know, well, what if we divorce, you know, down the road and, you know, and I don't have a retirement account, you know, that's, um, you know, been funded and I don't have, you know, assurances that I would get maintenance to get back on my feet, these kinds of things. So, so again, in this scenario, they're not really divorcing, but one spouse is giving up something, the, the ability to continue on with a career and, 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 and continue to fund retirement accounts and be financially stable on their own. And the other spouse, you know, um, you know, obviously would be, um, you know, then giving up something monetarily and saying, look, you know, if you agree to do this, we'll put in a post-nup and, you know, I, you know I'll, you'll be taken care of either through uh, financial incentives or, or maintenance or something to that effect. So that's another example of why a post-nup could come into play. So so it's a different analysis. A prenup is valid just by virtue of, you know, moving forward with the wedding. Um, but a post-nup is not going to be found valid if two parties just say, hey, you pay me this and I'll sign this. There has to be more at stake. There has to be more things. Each side has to be giving up something. But those are two of the uh, common examples that I see here in where I practice here in Illinois, where, you know, it's, it's deemed that both parties have given adequate consideration for the agreement. But it, it is, you know, I think the takeaway, too, is that this is such a case-by-case scenario and factual analysis that there's no bright line rule. There's no general anything that, you know, I could tell you that works across the board. It just really would depend on that, those facts and circumstances for those parties and whether or not, you know, an attorney in the family law arena consulted would, would say, Hey, yeah, I think this would hold up. I think this would be, be valid. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. DeleteMe is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using DeleteMe and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. 
You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A post-op could be at, at any particular point in time after you get married, right? There's not a, a set period of time. In Illinois, we have nothing, you know, statutorily that says a post-op has to be, you know, drafted and um, executed at, at any particular point in time. Just after the the, the marriage, basically, it, it is when it, it is called a post-op. So, yeah, there's no timeline or time frame. It's more an analysis of 
what's happening with the parties? What are they both giving up to in, enter and engage with, into this agreement? Have they been adequately counseled and advised and have there been full disclosures? Um, those are more, more, the, more the sticking points that a court will want to look at. And I imagine, you know, obviously one of the reasons why you need an attorney, whether you're going prenup or postnup is Mm -hmm. because each of these, I would imagine almost like a financial plan is completely different. You know, they're almost their own original document in terms of what are the conditions that are in these documents. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately I think a prenup and a postnup are both going to address very similar things. What happens if the parties divorce? What happens with all the assets? What happens with all the debts? Is is one spouse going to be getting any sort of maintenance payments? Um, ultimately, I think both both agreements are going to be addressing similar things, um, but it just comes down to the timing when when they're drafted and for what purpose. You know, is it is it being drafted to induce the other you know to in, enter into a marriage or is it being drafted to you know, um, solve another issue that's arisen after the marriage. It's so, yeah, but, but a lot of the same things will be addressed in both. And I will say, in, you know, at least in Illinois, I would imagine it's similar and across other states. You can't deal with child-related issues in a prenup or postnup. So it's, you're not going to figure out who gets custody, who gets child support, who's paying for what with respect to the kids. That, that all kind of stays out. This is just the, the financial, you know, uh, aspects of the case other than child-related. Um, so how the how the marital estate will be distributed, what is the marital estate, what does it consist of, and, you know, whether or not someone's going to be getting maintenance and for how long and how much, those sort of things will be will be identified. And is there, you know, a, a certain benchmark? I imagine the answer is no, but so many couples I know are thinking about prenup, maybe even postnup, but they're trying to figure out, is there a, like a monetary benchmark or something that, that would, that would sort of, you know, flip the switch of like, okay, yes, we should get a prenup. Or is that just completely individual or subjective up to the couple as to, you know, what they feel is, is valuable that they want to protect in the prenup or postnup? Yeah, that's a really good question and a really interesting question. And, you know, I, I have a similar answer for, for for you with respect to the prenups and postnups as I do with my estate planning clients, and that is money aside and what you own and what you want to protect aside, do you want to have it be a sort of clean, predictable procedure if you have to go through a divorce? Do you want the the property settlement and the other issues related to the divorce proceeding to be spelled out ahead of time so everyone knows what to expect? Or are you fine with kind of just, you know, seeing how it plays out if and when it happens? So if your goal is that, you know, predictability and getting things agreed to ahead of time so that when this highly emotionally charged time comes around, things are already set in place, then it doesn't matter if you have $500 or $5 million. I think that if the goal is streamlining of what can be a very, very troublesome and, and stressful process. If that's a goal, then it doesn't matter. So I would say, you know, I, I first get my client's goals. And a lot of times it's, it's predictability and making sure that there is a timeline and a um, plan for how this will flesh out if it does go down that road at some point. So, um, yeah, it just depends on what those, yeah, what those goals are. 
Okay, last question. I feel like I could ask you a million questions, but last question, you know, you see a ton of couples come through your door, uh, you know, whether it's prenup, postnup, uh, even the divorce topic, you know, what what is advice that you can give some of the listeners who are feeling uncomfortable about how in the world do they bring the pre or post-nup topic up to their significant other? I mean, is there a lot of cases where there's one spouse that's obviously more willing and one that is just totally against this? Or what kind of advice would you give to someone who's kind of in that that really scared place? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's so... um depends on the the relationship and whether these parties are generally open and honest with each other. Obviously, in those circumstances, the prenup postnup talk is going to be much more palatable to the party who's, you know, being told, you know, hey, I I, want to talk about this. I want to potentially put one of these agreements together versus the couple that they really don't, you know, talk about financial stuff. They really don't have a real open and honest communication. And I would say for the first couple, you know, it's, it's just as easy as, Hey, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about, and I don't even know if I would say prenup or postnup in the conversation. I would say, Hey, can we talk about finances and what, what concerns me and start the conversation with that. Um, with the, with the, with the couple that doesn't have this full and open and honest kind of communication style, I would say maybe schedule, um, you know, some therapy sessions with a third party and say, you know, there's something I'd like to bring up and talk to you about, but I feel like we'd better assist it if we did it with a therapist so that, you know, you, you know, I, you don't feel like I'm saying, you know, the wrong thing and I don't feel like I'm saying the wrong thing and we can really get through this conversation together. Um, so th- that's kind of what, you know, I, I would recommend, um, you know, if, the, if there's a party that just won't talk about it at all, then I think, you know, the one that's asking for the prenup or postnup, or well, if it's a prenup, they need to decide if this is a relationship that's that's a long-term relationship and if that makes sense because over the years of marriage, obviously, there's going to be lots of need to communicate and lots of need to talk about stuff that isn't fun. But, you know, that you know, I think it could be a, you know, sort of a precursor, if you will, um, as to whether or not the relationship is going to sustain, you know, a long-term marriage. So... That is such a great point. I I love mm-hmm. that, um, and I think that 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 like that point needs an exclamation point because you're yeah, right. I mean, yeah. there's so many difficult things that you're mm-hmm. going to go through in a marriage, and you can't foresee that you know when you're thinking mm-hmm. about your wedding day and how amazing that's going to be. But all mm-hmm. of us in every relationship, you know, we walk through tough stuff, and you have to be able mm-hmm. to have this this transparency about you and you know it starts i think with talking about hard stuff like money yeah yeah definitely i mean money is you know it's so important to everyone and protecting it and you know making sure that we're all taken care of and once you become one economic unit once you're married i mean this now you really need to be on the same team so um you know as much as the couples can do ahead of time to 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 build that foundation for communications is always advised. Awesome. This has been so informative. I love this episode. Uh, I love the conversation and all of your amazing information that you provided. Tell the listeners where they can find out a little bit more about you if they're interested in learning more about this subject or, you know, are in the state of Illinois and actually want to connect with you. Yeah, that would be great. And again, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you as well. Um, so in terms of contact information, um, I can be found online. My law office website is www.gq, 
www.lawoffice.com so they can find um, you know information about myself, my practice, some some interesting blog articles we've definitely written on prenups, postnups, um, and you know if they'd like to reach out to me further, they can get my email and phone number there on the website as well. Brian and Tracy, I hope this brought some light, a little bit of light and insight into the idea of a postnup or a prenuptial agreement. I don't think there's any judgment when you're talking about a prenup or a postnup. It's really up to each couple to figure out what works best for them and in their relationship. So maybe it's something you explore, maybe it isn't. Again, it's up to you. All I know is that divorce is extremely expensive. And not to say that a prenup or a postnup does anything to lower that expense, but maybe that might make you feel a little bit better that you kind of know how things would be split up if something happened to you. Other couples feel like, again, that is definitely the straight path to divorce. So it's up to all of us to decide, but hopefully this brought a little bit more insight into the idea of a postnuptial agreement. As always, if you love this episode, share it with friends and family members. Anyone who you know needs to hear this important message. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode sponsors. And I will see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. 